It's just scary. I know. Uh, it's very strange to have pants on in this studio since you've been gone for a week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I must tell you. Um, but um, It's very strange for me to have pants on, too, <laughs> since being back. <laughs> Watch around Greece with just my Speedo at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit, a podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 27 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Alex Dark. And I am Trevor L. Nelson, and today we're going to talk about packaging your project. Um, we talked to a lot of people about kind of like what happens once your, pa- your, <laughs> once, <laughs> once your once package you package is complete, <laughs> once you got your package. Um, but we haven't really talked about what you should do, what steps you should take, and all that to kind of go to a slate and all that. But... Before we get into that, Alex is back, and what are we drinking, Alex? Kona beer. <laughs> I couldn't drink it all while you're gone. I'm sorry. I was trying to to end it all so that we could just come back and start something fresh. But no, start fresh with something new. But alas, no. no. Um, it's new to me, though. It yeah. seems brand new. <laughs> hey, that's all that matters. I've been gone for ten days, and all of a sudden, you, you've come. You you're, you've switched back from drinking ouzo to. Uh, oh yeah. What kind of beer do they have over there? Mythos and Alpha. Mythos. I've had Mythos. I haven't had Alpha. Alpha is the bomb. Oh, all right. I should check. They also have donkey beer. Yellow donkey, red donkey. <laughs> Yellow donkey pee. Um, yep. Uh, excellent. All right. All right. <laughs> it's good. That, speaking of that, what's new? Ooh, it's Alex- a donkey. <laughs> Ooh, it's a donkey. Uh, Alex is back, everyone. Uh, I yes. know you probably really haven't missed him because the last two episodes have been taped before Alex left, so you really right. didn't know he was gone. But but I did. My and, presence was missed God. throughout the world. Thank God he's well, not the world because you're in Greece, <laughs> so Greece didn't miss you. That's true. <laughs> but uh, I missed you. <laughs> it was pretty sad. I, my wife was gone for a week. Alex is gone. And I was just kind of like walking around my house, like what what do I do? What, what do I do? I am free <laughs> to do nothing. <laughs> Talking about not wearing pants. Whoo, that was a good week. Um, nice. Uh, what else is new? Uh, why Alex was gone? I watched Mandy and Apostle. Uh, Mandy is VOD. Uh, Greg Gertmanian that we had on last week, uh, he talked about it. Um, it lived up to the hype. Uh, I don't know if Alex has watched it yet since he's been back. I have not watched it oh, yet. Oh, man. You got to. It, it is it is a trip. It is just like crazy. Yeah, um, I can't wait. I can't wait. If you guys hear some jingling in the background, my dog Hunter is here again. Or and- it's a reindeer. <laughs> it is close to Christmas. <laughs> Home Depot has Christmas decorations up. So we have a reindeer here. Um, and I also watched Apostle on Netflix, which gets a little weird at points, but for the most part, awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen that one either, oh, but I'm man. excited. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up on Netflix that I'm excited about. Yeah, and you, I just read an article today that Netflix is starting to cancel things, which is crazy. They Cancel. canceled Iron Fist, a Marvel show, which you know Marvel does gangbusters on Netflix. Sure. They uh, said that- Did that have something to do with um, the new- Disney Fox. No, because there's stuff. St- they still have Daredevil. They still have Iron. Uh, they still have uh, Luke Cage. They still have. Uh, yeah, what's the other one? Jessica Jones. That's right. That's the um, one. and the Defenders, I believe it is, mm-hmm. which is a mix of all of them. But also, they they announced they didn't. You know, the creators didn't announce that Orange is the New Black is going to be ending. Um, Interesting. After the seventh season, um, not kind of canceling it. I'm but sure. Just say- I'm sure they've just realized like they have to just. Cut people. I mean, if you give people free reign to just keep going, yeah, they're gonna keep going to the 
you know, detriment of the show. Well, that's exactly what the article was saying is like, thankfully, they're starting to cancel things and put things at an end. Um, yeah. Because it's like they, you know, they have um, who's a guy? Uh, Murphy. Um, Murphy Brown? Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, Brian Murphy? Brian Murphy. Or Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Murphy. Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy and Chandra. Chandra, who did Grey's Anatomy. God, oh, why am I forgetting Oh, oh. oh. Rhymes? Chandra. Uh, rhymes? Chandra. I mean, that might be it. It's not Chandra. It's, uh... Um, oh, God. Did I totally screw up that name? <laughs> uh, God. This is, I'm, gonna go, I'm going to the website, the internets for this. Go, go uh, to Masterclass. Sandra. Is it Sandra? Not Chandra. No, it's, um, it's close. You're very Shonda. close. Shonda. Shonda. S H O N D A. Yep, Rhymes. Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes. She is now not supposedly to be confused with the country singer, and not to be <laughs> confused with Ving Rhames. <laughs> uh, but it, it also said that she's now the highest paid showrunner in television because of her Netflix deal. Nice. Um, but there are new people coming in, and you gotta gotta make waves and make moves so that it isn't too crowded. You know, I mean, like. Orange is the New Black. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, you know, I I will watch it. It had its kind of you know go at it um, yeah. and they're doing a lot more movies now um so and at the same time people said like hulu um uh amazon amazon all these other streaming companies are getting in on the emmy game and so netflix sure. kind of has to s- switch it up and and not just be stale um, i know yeah for so, sure i mean but that being said stale killed it yeah i think um also well what i wonder is if netflix is aware of the fact that they're currently um, you know, just sort of like hammering out or just like opening the floodgates of just like mediocre stuff. Yeah. It's like we just need content because for the longest it was just content, content, content to keep the subscriber base going. Yeah. And like half of the, if not more, of the Netflix original movies yeah. are pretty subpar, lackluster. Except for Apostle. <laughs> man. Sure. You got so it. I'm wondering if they're sort of stepping back from that idea. And trying to, and more, trying quality to more quality instead of quality. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> we talked to some principals uh, for our show that we're going to be pitching to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about things that aren't that are quantity over quality. Yep. Our show that we're going to pitch to Netflix. Um, but yes, uh, we are uh, moving and shaking towards uh, to talking to Netflix about this idea that we have for a show. Uh, we'll keep you posted as soon as we can. We don't want to give too much away. <laughs> yeah. We got some interest from talent. Yeah, so got That's some nice. interest, which was good. Uh, so we have two people kind of uh, saying, yes, you could almost pitch us to Netflix with us attached, uh, yeah. interested, as long as things fall into place. And now we're reaching out to a third. Reaching out to a third, and even if we don't hear from that third right away, we're going to go to Netflix uh, soon yep. and talk to them and see if they'd be interested. And if that goes, then we might be doing these uh, podcasts on the road. Yeah, yeah boy. Yeah, boy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what's new. Alex, uh, how was your trip to Greece? It was great. It was yeah. great. It was my first time uh, across the the big water. <laughs> Why did you turn British on that? You couldn't even turn Greek? <laughs> no, God, I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, Alex Kostanopoulos. It was great. It was a crazy flight. Oh, man. You know, 17, 18 hours Ooh, of yeah. flying. Yep. And um, that was pretty tough. Yeah. And lots of ferry trips. Yeah. Um, but once we got there, it was great. Yeah. I, man, again, for those who haven't traveled abroad very much, if if you like food, man, traveling is the best when you, you do it with your yeah. stomach. And, um, and Mediterranean food, oh. Greek food, and... Middle Eastern food is probably like my second favorite under Mexican. Wow, yeah, it's it's hard. Like, I, 
as a fat man, it's hard for me to put levels of which food I like the most because it's all just so good. I like thinking that Mediterranean is one of my favorite because there's an entire diet called the Mediterranean <laughs> diet. I would happily do that. I mean, granted, you got to remember that you can make a diet out of anything. There could be the butter diet. I mean, the there Mexican is the, diet. Yeah, there's I'm the, all about. There's the bulletproof coffee diet, which is totally. just butter. So I mean, yeah, like, I did, I I did the, the Mexican diet for a while. Yeah, in my uh, one bedroom apartment, but it got pretty stinky. Yeah, because I was just eating bean and cheese burritos twenty four seven. Yeah, which is delicious. Delicious, not nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> Not nutritious, but, uh, but delicious. Hey, let's be honest. Sometimes you need to go with delicious rather than nutritious. That's true. I mean, you know, especially when talking about diets. Well, especially when you're you're traveling, like throw all diets away because oh, you're yeah. gonna be eating some deliciousness. Man, for sure. I mean, we went we went ham, as Ugh. they say. We got like two appetizers every time. You didn't eat ham, but you went ham. No, they had ham. Oh, and it was delicious. Of course it was. Of course it was. Um, yeah, so that's about what's new. Alex was gone. I was working on some projects, um, and we're talking with Netflix, and I watched some movies. That's about that's about nice. it. Um, so let's on to the ta- on to the topic at hand. Yeah. So we talked to uh, Greg Gertmanian from Slated. Yes. And he talked a lot of, about um, developing a script, uh, developing a script, packaging it together, getting a score from Slated mm-hmm. um, uh, In order to, uh, to get funding, secure investors, and so you know. A lot of the no budget filmmaking podcast is about uh, making it on your own, not looking for investors. But yeah, as you're growing and getting further in your career, you're going to have to look for some money to make your bigger projects. Yeah, and I think even you'll start realizing. I was talking um, to my wife about this the other day. Still, still sounds weird to say. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. weird to say. Yeah, um, but uh, we're talking about the idea because she got asked to do a, a project like a. No budget project type of thing. She has to, or she she got asked to. Oh, okay. Oh, um, to act in it. Yeah. Okay. And um, we were talking about how it's tough to progress when you're when you're stuck to like only doing no budget and like using your own money. So it's like it's harder to move beyond just like the two people talking scenes. Yeah. In like one location or yep. like. Um, and try to move on to things that are more advanced or, or show your skills a little bit more in terms of like directing, camera movement, lighting, mm-hmm. um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think um, it's tough. So at some point, even yeah. if you're just asking for $50,000 instead of doing something for 500 yeah, you know, it's like that you might need investors for. You might not want to spend your own $50,000. Um, and that's still like a no budget. Yeah. I mean, the the title of the podcast is No Budget Filmmaking, but as our lovely British announcer says, yeah, no matter what the budget. So, you know what? There's still things to be learned if you have a million-dollar budget. There's still things to learn if you have a $500,000 budget. And if you are building up to making this a career, you're going to start building up to bigger budgets. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we think about the Dupless brothers and – you know, oh, they're low budget filmmakers. But their movies are still they're still making movies and TV shows that have big budgets compared sure. to like hamstringing a budget together from friends and family. So at some point, you're going to have to package something. Hamstringing together. a budget? I've never heard that phrase before. You got me thinking about ham from Greece. So <laughs> I'm really nice. hungry. Mm. Hamstrung? Is that what it is? Bootstrapping? No. I, oh, I got it. hamstrung. I don't know what that means. Hamstrung. Um. 
Severely restrict the efficiency or effectiveness of. Oh, interesting. Mm, yeah, welcome. You're learning new things. Where the day nice. calendar worked out for me. Um, so, um, you know, uh, you're at some point as you build the career, you're going to get bigger budgets or you're going to have ideas. Uh, our friend Zeph, I just saw on Facebook the other day that he said, oh, I had this really awesome idea for the opening of a movie, but that alone is going to cost $50,000. Right. So there you go. You know, like he's a no-budget filmmaker, low-budget filmmaker. But then you get these ideas. It's like, wait a second. I, I want to do budget. this without yeah. the extra money. I mean, me and Alex, it's just a, a fact of, of business and life and creating things. It's like no matter what you're doing, there's going to be limitations. Mm-hmm. And you know, money is one of those big ones for filmmaking. Even though me and Alex are proponents of the lower budgets and uh, you know, lower crew, uh, more creativity, we have projects that we have budgeted out that are 500000 a million, $5 million, $10 million. Um, yeah. And that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You shouldn't feel that you need to be stuck making no budget films forever. So right. we've really run around the topic a lot. I know. And then we have not yet talked about anything. Yeah. So, okay. So it's time. You have this great idea. But in this case, you need to get money. You need to get funding. You need to get or you maybe have funding and you want to get some actors on board or something. What, in your opinion, Alex, Yes. you have an idea. Mm-hmm. Great idea. You want to get money. Yeah. Um. Or you want to get great actors involved. Yeah. What is the first step you do? What comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing? Yeah. I think, well, I, if you could, if you have the money, you're you're in a much better position. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Because I think it's easier to get people on board when they know it's actually going to happen, A. Mm-hmm. So having the money is a huge step. But at the same time, it's hard to get money uh, without these other pieces in place. So that yeah. is the catch-22 right there. Yeah, exactly. And well, I think it's easiest, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, to get the uh, the creative crew, yeah, on board, yeah, than it is to get the um the actors and the talent, yeah. Um, things like DPs, mm-hmm. um, producers, maybe, yeah, um, directors, maybe, yeah, or even even things like set designers or people that are going to shape sort of the look of the film. But if you have this team of people yeah. that are really credible mm-hmm. and have a lot of work to show um, that, you know, shows that not only the project is going to get made, but it's going to yeah. get made well, it's going to be easier to attach the talent. Well, you know, it may have been so long ago that you don't remember, but Greg specifically said that. if Like, even if you have, like, a list of people that are your creative side that don't have many credits, but you have one person who does, it helps. Yeah. Because it yeah. seems like there's somebody, especially when it comes to producers. Like, if you have a director who's a first-time director, first-time screenwriter, first-time DP, or not just first-time, but, like, they haven't done bigger budget things. But you have a producer who has some credits behind their name and is known to produce some stuff that is, you know, profitable or, you know, highly regarded. That will help you through the way. Because they'll look at it and be like, you know what, this guy can 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 manage these people um, even if these people aren't don't have the experience that we necessarily would look for. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. It really only takes one thing to sort of get the ball rolling. You know, when uh when we were, when I worked at a distribution company and I was calling up places, you know, you really only need one thing to sort of get people to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the one thing was money, yeah. whether it was a producer yeah. or talent. Yeah. But just having one thing um at least shows that you're not just a person with a dream necessarily. Yeah, um, and we're, what we're going to do is we're going to probably cut in and out of the project we're working for Netflix right now because 
you know, this is kind of what brought us to this topic today is because we're packaging our things and reaching out to people and all that. So we started with a talent that, you know, we have uh, interactions with on a normal basis yeah. and asked them if you'd be interested. And it just was, a, hey, would you be interested in doing this? There's nothing set in stone, but we just want to gauge your interest. And he said yes. And that name was big enough that we were like, okay, well, now we can start reaching out to other people and say, hey, this guy's interested. Would you be interested? Right. Um, you, and, Alex had said that, sorry to interrupt you, Alex, yeah. but Alex had said that, you know, it's a lot easier to get the creatives on board before you get the talent. But sometimes what will happen is you'll send a script to an agent, um, uh, the representation for talent, and just send them the script. And the person, what they'll do is they'll say, yeah, you know what, you can use my name to float around because I'd be interested if this project got money. So they like you know they're not setting they're not signing anything they're not saying they're going to do it they're saying if this gets money I would be interested in sitting down and thinking about possibly doing it um, and so yeah. that's what we kind of did is we kind of got people interested in the project because of the idea and they liked the idea that we're like hey can we pitch your name around as somebody who's potentially interested in this yeah but I will oh I will remind you oh no what I do before we got the talent attached yeah. We actually got a production company on board. That's true. Um, that has a little bit more street cred than we yep. do, especially in this particular genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you yeah. know you can go you can go either way. Talk about partnerships, basically. And I do think, no matter what, mm-hmm. it's going to be a million times easier to go after people that you have established relationships with, whether they're talent mm-hmm. crew. Or otherwise, you know, because or companies, yeah, um, because a you have like a direct connection to them. You don't have to like try to weave your way through gatekeepers and <sighs> get past the receptionists the and all that kind of stuff. The worst. Um, so that's going to be a million times easier, no matter what you know, no matter what they are. Yeah, and um, that goes back to what we've always harped on is like you know working on projects that may not be paid, but you're not only gaining experience, but you're building relationships. And then later down the line, you know. Say you uh, want to do a project, and the person you worked as, who worked as a DP on something you worked on, remembers you, and he's kind of made a name for himself. Well, you could be like, "Hey, remember me? We worked together. We seem to have a good time. You didn't hate me. I didn't hate you. Um, I think your work is great. Would you be interested in kind of like coming on board this project?" And again, people will say yes, even if there's no money behind it, because they'll be like, "You know what? Um, you know, I, I I like the project. I like working with you." I'm not going to say I'm not going to sign anything because who knows scheduling issues and all that but you can you can let people know that I'm interested or I'm on board I'm part of the team as they say. Yeah, and I do I mean there is within this industry especially this huge element of nepotism mm-hmm. where you know people just want to work with people that they've worked with before and they know what they're capable of and they like them and um so I think it's important to a make the re- the relationships yeah. get out there meet people but also maintain the relationships um keep in contact with people even if you haven't worked with them for a while yeah and um just sort of keep all that stuff all the options open when it comes to that and and also in terms of relationships like not only could you find a dp that you worked with in the past that you really like and hey guess what i want you to be the dp for this project and can i pitch you around but these people that you are going to bring on board and sometimes you bring them on board only because they have connections 
So you're only bringing yeah. them on board because, you know what, they have an in in Netflix. Because Netflix doesn't take cold, cold pitches. You have to know somebody in Netflix that kind of vouches for you. So maybe you have a producer, and this, this happens a lot. Producers are brought on board and they get credit because they are the, like, I think the story that I always go back to is that, um, I forget exactly what it was, but um, Kevin Smith recommended an actor to a, mo- a filmmaker, and the actor ended up getting the part, and the, the, the movie gave Kevin Smith a producer credit because he helped secure the main actor. Sure. And, and you know what? So some people will come on board, and you're like, hey, um, you know, I want to make you a producer, and, um, I want, and part of the reason I want you to be a producer is because you have a connection to this revenue stream or this distribution platform or something like that, and that's not uncommon at all. No, and you see this a lot in TV. I mean, if you watch... Um network TV or even like cable TV. Look at if you look at like the Discovery Channel or something and you watch the show till the end and you see the company credits at the end, a lot of them are the same companies yeah. because um Discovery Channel again going back to like nepotism, the Discovery Channel has relationships. They've made shows with these people before, they know what they can do. And so um new companies will reach out to those established companies and say, mm-hmm. Hey, can we do a co production? Yeah. Um, I have this idea, I have the ability to execute this and whatever. You have the relationship with the, the distribution channels yeah. and the outlets or whatever. Um, so let's team up and make this happen. And that's you know one way that TV shows get made frequently. It, it, it does kind of suck because as much as people will not like to admit it, it is who you know sometimes. It is who, if you know somebody who is connected to a distribution platform or a funding source, then that gives you a a, a leg up. Um, that's why a lot of people say you got to move to New York or Atlanta or Vancouver or L.A. because you'll meet more people who are connected that can help you get mm-hmm. your project made. And it's one of those things where it sucks, but that's just the way it is. And until you know, and so I think that's is what what's kind of cool is that uh, we we saw. Larry interviewed the Dupless brothers separately, but um, and they said that you know all these things that they're doing, like a wild, wild country, and um, there was that pizza, bo- the pizza delivery uh, bank bomber uh, documentary. Yep, um, uh, I forget what that crazy was crazy something like that, which was great. Yeah, um, and they said that they wanted to find these people that didn't have any connections, didn't have the ins, um, but had great stories to tell and help them out, and and so. I always keep that in the back of my mind, so if we ever become big <laughs> and have more than 15 reviews on iTunes, <laughs> um, that we'd help out the people that don't have the connections, that are coming just to L.A. to try and make it and don't know anybody and stuff like that, because there's a lot of stories out there. So build up your crew, because you never know who has a connection that will move forward. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so that's what you kind of do when you're packaging. You're packaging people you like to work with, who have maybe you know somebody in there, doesn't have to be everyone, but somebody in there has... Um, some credits that make it look good and yeah. and then they have a connection to something that can help move the project further um you know it might be the director maybe you have a great screen uh, screenplay and you have a director in mind and you just say hey guess what um uh i here's my screenplay i'd love for you to direct it um and that person is like okay yeah 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 let me take it to my representation let me take it to mm-hmm. um my friends over at netflix see if they'd fund it stuff like that it's just you never know where the connection is made that could move the project forward yeah all right so let's talk about how to attach or how you can reach out to people when you don't if you don't know them like say you you have your connection you're like 
your inner circle of connections that you're you're accruing up, but they don't have like a ton of experience. So you're trying to attach that one person or that, those two people or the you know however many people um, that do have the experience that you're looking for. How do you reach out to them? Um, Where do you find them? I would say one like we have a bunch of different options, but if it's just like a cold call kind of thing or just reaching out out of the blue, mm-hmm. um, my first go-to would probably be uh, IMDb Pro because you know those people, you, you know, you have to pay for it. Um, you know those people have a connection or they have some credits behind them. And usually in IMDb Pro, IMDb Pro, they have uh, a link to their person, to their representation's email. Yeah, and so you could just sometimes email them, even a direct, even direct sometimes, and you can just email them out right out. You know, if you do something like you know, um, you know, I'm just thinking like if you just look up uh, like we we're going to talk about V score in a little bit, but if you look up on V score, that doesn't necessarily mean you can connect with them. That means this is the person you want to reach out to, but it, it doesn't always have the connection to V score, does it? I haven't done V score as much as you have. Um, so V score, there's actually two things with V score. There's Variety Insights, and then V score okay. is like. Um, sort of like a rating system for people. Uh-huh. Uh, the Insights has direct connection. I'd, I'd say it's probably a little bit more accurate than IMDb just because uh, I think they update it more and they are actively updating it, whereas IMDb, like the person has to update it. Okay. You know, one of the two people. So I would, okay, so mine is to go IMDb Pro, pay the pay the membership fee. It not only helps your uh, profile on IMDb yeah, uh, but it also allows you to connect. But Alex, it's a good thing to have. In Alex's general. first is, is VScore. So tell them about VScore and why why you think it's it's the first step you would go. Um, I think so. VScore and Variety Insights. It's it's a service provided by Variety, the magazine, um, and they have a huge database of all the actors and their current representation. Mm-hmm. And then they've also created this sort of algorithm or this sort of uh, you know platform that allows you to see projects that talent is attached to currently. Um, as well as things they've done in the past, awards, um, their social media metrics and stuff like that. But I think one of the reasons... So I, I'm a big fan of IMDb Pro. I think you should have it no mm-hmm. matter what Yeah. Uh, for research purposes and you know for your own yeah. profile. Yep. But for vScore and all that, the one thing that I think it has um, over it, uh, aside from just maybe like a little bit more accurate info is being able to see sort of like more detailed information about projects that are coming up and when it's being released and stuff. Yeah. Because that can have a huge effect on your pitch. Yeah. Uh, and the talent that you attach. If you if there's a talent that hasn't really hit yet, but you see that they're in something like really big, mm-hmm. you know, next year. Yeah. You know, trying to get them attached now is probably a, a better move than trying to find someone who is already big. Uh, if you don't have a budget already or like other people in place and you're just kind of like reaching out. Yeah. I mean that, that happens a lot. You'll see a lot of movies being released that are four years old because the person who's the star wasn't a big talent then, but then they just sit on it because they know they're going to be a big star after bigger budget things come out and then they release it. Exactly. I remember, uh, so when I was working in acquisitions, a movie came across the desk that we watched. That wasn't a desk. It was like a TV tray. That's true. Yeah. It was a, It was a TV tray. It was a, <laughs> it was a folding table. TV tray. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a collector's uh, on item. On my lap in my bed. <laughs> um, I just said, I'm, I'm working acquisitions. <laughs> Check me out, everybody. Check me out. Um, so this movie had a young actor, mm-hmm. Australian, named okay. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> and this was 
This was right before he uh, Star Trek came out, the first one that he had a very small part in. He played Captain Kirk's dad. Was that was that before Thor? It was before Thor. Oh before wow! Star Trek. Okay. So we saw this movie, um, and you know he wasn't anyone at the time. Yeah, we, we saw. Uh, we had a different program. You know, distributors have different mm-hmm. uh, apps and software that show the release schedules and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we saw that he was in um, the Star Trek that was coming out. Yeah. And he had just recently been attached as Thor. So we knew that was going to be a huge thing in the future. It wasn't going to be right now. So that was, that's the type of thing, um, you know, to look for. I think it's it's always a safe bet. Or it's a safer bet, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and that and that does help, and that's something that, you know, I, I do I do think V Score does definitely help because it's more in tune. It's more in tune with the industry. IMDb Pro is kind of like a user database where they have to update and granted yeah, you update your own stuff really yeah, yeah. And, or your representation does or your representation does and if you don't it still stays old yeah still stays stays the same but the interesting thing to me about IMDb Pro. Over Vscore is on IMDb Pro, you'll find more direct contact info. Yeah. Even, you know, there's not a ton out there, especially yeah. for like big people. Yeah. But every once in a while, you will find some. And it's interesting. You'll have like a, a Gmail account that you can just hit up. Yeah, which is crazy. But, which uh, is crazy. I mean, that's how I, in, in college, I was more bold when it came to just reaching out <laughs> to random people. But I reached out to Ryan Johnson when he made Brick. Mm and asked if I could work on his next project. <laughs> and he said? He said, maybe. <laughs> he was, he responded, was, though. He did. He was he was about to shoot Brothers Bloom, and he was like, well, we're all crewed up for this, but you know, maybe the next one. And then the next one was Looper, and I was not on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did the same thing also for David Ellis, who ended up writing my letter of recommendation for uh, USC. He was the director of the Final Destination movies and stuff. Hey, I mean, yeah. So there, I mean, so you got to remember it, it's 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 it, it'll be hard, especially if you don't have an if you don't have the credits that a lot of people expect, and you're just saying like I'm going to get money. A lot of people may just turn you down or not respond. But there's some people that will respond and say, yeah, you know, I'm interested if you get the money. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put in my schedule now because if something comes up that does have the money, I'm gonna go to that obviously. Yeah. But um, and I think there's there's one thing that is often overlooked, um, and it's kind of you know some people may have missed this boat because I think younger people have an advantage when it comes to this. But you can reach out to people when you don't even have a project going in search of a mentor, and I think that's, that yeah. that's a big thing that not a lot, not a lot of people do um, unless they already have like some kind of interaction with them like they work on a project and they hit it off with them and then maybe yeah. they'll like keep in touch or whatever but yeah if you reach out to people and say hey i'm looking for advice uh can you help me or like would you be interested in like meeting up and talking about this thing because i'm trying to you know i'm a student and mm-hmm. i'm trying to do this or whatever yeah you know people like want to help students and stuff like that and you know new people there's like a drive to help people in that way obviously yeah they're not going to stick their neck out for you right away but if you build a rapport and a relationship with them over time, I mean, that's yeah. that's how it works, you know. And you what you'll also notice, and this is kind of going really deep into like this is like starting when you're 18 kind of thing. Um, 
a lot of you know a lot of people you'll notice they they'll say like oh yeah you know I got my start being the assistant to so and so or the assistant to other person right, and yeah. and that'll be a way that you can connect with this filmmaker and not they may not you know give you money or they may not work on your next project but they will vouch for you and say they'll say like oh I know this person I'll reach out to them for you and say hey this guy's really this guy or girl is really great and I think you should you know think about their project or stuff like that it, yeah and so that's not only being a mentor you get paid to be. Yeah. Assistant. So um. what? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. And then I think also another interesting thing is LinkedIn. A lot of people don't like LinkedIn. I yeah. don't. I don't particularly love it. Uh, yeah. It's like I mean I don't hang out on LinkedIn all the time. Yeah. But the cool thing about LinkedIn mm-hmm. is that you can connect with people, and then depending on you know I think you have to pay for this feature yeah. or you you get like a limited amount of it, but you can actually like um, send them a message and. Even if you don't have their direct contact, LinkedIn will send sort of like an email directly to their email address by proxy, and you won't know what their email address is, so you can't really like follow up yeah. via email directly. You still have to go through LinkedIn, but it's a good way to reach out to people. That's what I did uh, back in the day when yep. I wanted to get onto a project for um, with the Stan Winston School. Uh, it was like a a kaiju project to make miniatures. Yeah. I wanted to get right. on that. So I reached out to Matt Winston, Stan Winston's son and said, Hey, I really want, really want to uh, help out on this project and, and make miniatures and stuff. It's something I've always wanted to do. And you know, he responded and said, yeah, yeah, come on over. And I mean, and okay, this is an infamous story between our group of filmmakers. There's always the old Facebook. And I say that because this is a shout out to our friend Dave Postma. Dave Postma. Dave Postma, who I doubt listens to this podcast, but maybe he does. He has a kid now. You know, he's, he's a little busy. busy. Well, you know what? I gotta listen to this podcast. Uh, you watch the kid. Great excuse. Oh, yeah. um, so, um, he went randomly just started adding people from USC Film School on Facebook. He's and he's a prolific like very uh, prolific social networking. The guy is just the guy has. The guy has, I think, over 5,000 friends on Facebook that he's never met face-to-face. Yeah. Um, he's, and I can't fault him for it. It's a great idea. And it's funny because— he has met a lot of them face-to-face, too, because he does—I mean, like, Now, now us, he does. But back back in the day, he hadn't. Like He hadn't, but he did come out to yeah. L.A., and I met him yeah. in L.A. And he just randomly added me. He added Alex. He added all of our—you our, know, it's kind of one of those things like, oh, I'll add this guy. Now we're friends. I can see all his friends. I'll add them, too, which, you know what? It's the new cold calling. He just yeah. added all of us, and we've worked on projects with Dave. We, uh, you know, Dave always hits us up every once in a while, and be like, "Hey, I'm looking for some, uh, you know, ideas for movies. Um, what do you got?" and stuff like that. And that was just a random Facebook ad, like, uh, yeah. not ad, like ad, but a he Facebook addition. Yeah. yeah, and it was, and it, you know what? It, it worked. We were able to build a network with yeah. Dave, and now but Dave works for like a production said, company. Like I said, he is prolific oh, in man. that he is extremely diligent and good about following up and like keeping in contact. I think that's the hardest part, especially as you build. Yeah. If you have like 5,000 people just on one platform, I'm sure he has even more on other platforms. uh, It's hard to like reach out and stay in contact and sort of like be on the forefront of people's minds Mm -hmm. all the time because I mean, it's just a lot. And it's, it's a lot it, to do. And at the same time, like we'll not think of Dave for maybe a month or two, and then all of a sudden Dave will be like, hey, guys, what's up? And it's like, oh, Dave. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. And so it's, it's been so much that every once in a while when we have a project idea, we're like, hey, we, let's talk to Dave about it because Dave it works for a production company. Uh, he's uh, 
part of the development team. And so it's like, hey, let's talk to Dave about that. And that's just somebody that randomly messaged us, not even us messaging him. He randomly messaged us. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, there's a lot of creepers on Facebook, but hey, you know, sometimes just you know, talk to him. It is Facebook. You can always block him if you need to, but yeah, it's Dave. Yeah. I know. I think also what up, Dave? people are surprised to find out that there are like real famous people on like Facebook. Yeah. You know, like randomly... I am Facebook friends with Rob Cohen, the producer of like all the conjuring. Yeah. I, I don't know how that, I don't remember adding him or like when that happened, but there's that. And also like Oren Pelly from like, here's the thing. And I'm Arnold friends with Oren Pelly too. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. You may not find your next actor through Facebook because that, that tends to be their Facebooks or Facebook pages are run by a marketing team or their representation or something. But people on the back end, on the, behind the scenes, your producers, your directors, they tend to run their own pages because they're not out there, you know, they're not a face of a franchise or the face of a movie. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the difference being, like, between adding a person as a friend versus liking a page. Completely different. Completely different. Completely different. And, that, and you know what? It's, one, it's like the new age of cold calling. Like back in the day, you'd cold call like agents and all that, and be like, "I have an idea," or "I'm looking for representation." Blah blah blah. Now you just Facebook friend them. Don't like their page because the page is just a marketing thing. You Facebook friend them. You hit them up on LinkedIn. You hit them up um, through the representation link on IMDb Pro. You get go to pay for V Score to get their representation through that, and you just hit up a bunch of people. So yeah. when you when you are building your package, don't get stuck on one actor. Like we have an idea. We have an idea. Uh, for a movie, and it was going to be uh, our, like a really low budget. We were going to just do the dentist, doctor, lawyer thing, and we're still working on it. And at one point, we're like, you know what? We should freaking hit up Remy Malik because he was just starting in Mr. Robot. What he was doing, Mr. Robot, was exactly what we wanted for our lead character. Now it's too big. He's too big with Bohemian Rhapsody coming out. Sure. Um, and so you can't, especially if your project's not completely ready to go, you can't be set on one person. So, you know. Come up with a list of 20 people that you want for the main roles or for a producer or for a director and then just start hitting them up. Hitting them up um, and, you know, knowing yeah. that you're probably not going to get your first 19 choices, but that 20th one may be like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of interested in this I'm, or I'd like to meet for coffee or because you got to realize that the Harry says this all the time that actors are always scared when they don't have a script in front of them to read because it means that they've been forgotten or they don't have the next job lined up. Sure. You got to remember that if there's a director out there that you really want to talk to who's maybe not, you know, a star director or the, you know, an A-lister. They're just looking for their next gig too. And they're, you know, if you can say, "Hey, can I attach you?" They're probably going to say yes if they like the idea and they like you because um they're looking for their next job too. And they would yeah. they would say, "Yes, you could attach me. I'm not signing anything to say, "Hey, I'm definitely on this," but you never know what they could say. I also think one thing we kind of missed when we were talking about like who to attach or who to get involved, um, if, especially when you're talking about a film, would be sales agents. Yeah. Because, A, sales agents can do some research for you mm -hmm. in terms of like your list of talent, and they can say, well, this person probably isn't going to do well internationally. Mm -hmm. You know, this, these people would be better, or I like this, this chunk, and, you know, whatever. It's like they can help you with that. They can reach out to actual distributors and yeah. say, hey, of these people, who would you rather see and make like a priority list of like your talent? But not only that, they will want to 
be on board your project. They do this and they do estimates and things like that because they want to be on board your project if it happens to be made. Like there's yeah. no there's no real risk for them to do that because either the project gets made uh, with the talent that they want and they get to distribute it yeah. to these people that have already expressed that they want these people in this movie. I mean, it's like it just makes it so much easier for them. Why wouldn't they do it? And for you, having a sales agent attached uh, to say like, hey, I have this you know, agent attached More talent. once it's done. Um, they've said that this list of talent um, would be great and is approved by distributors. And so when you're attaching you know, other people like the directors and the producers and the DPs and stuff, it just helps. It's like another you know, avenue to say, yeah. hey, this is like a real thing. Uh, we have this real company interested, yeah, and all these other real companies interested. Once the movie's done, they want to buy it. To 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 uh, piggyback on that, were you at Larry? Were you, were you on vacation when we, did, when we shot Frank Grillo? I was on vacation. <laughs> so Frank Grillo, um, he was in the latest to the uh, the latest the two latest purges, election year, and the one before that. Um, he was the star. And then he was also in Captain America Winter Soldier. He played Crossbones. Um, and Crossbones? So, I think that's what it was. Wow. Um, I don't remember that one. Um, let's see. Captain America Winter Soldier. He was also in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Uh, yes. Crossbones. Yes. So he was in Winter Soldier. So he's, he's a face you would recognize, but he's not somebody that you would immediately say, hey, you know, what, you know. This is the guy I want to start my movie. Yeah. But going off what Alex says about a sales agent, if he hadn't come to Larry and done an interview, I would not know that he's a huge star in China. Like, sure. huge. Because he was in this movie called Wolf Warrior 2. And Wolf Warrior 2 uh, got a box office of over a billion dollars in China alone. Yeah. And so a sales agent would be able to be like, hey, you should think about Frank Grillo because, you know what, he'll be fine in the U.S., he'll do some good business, but he'll kill it in China. Yeah. Which is an emerging market for film, and so and not only that because he's not yet huge in America. Yeah, he will be slightly, you know, more likely to do your project. Yeah, and that that would and again if if he hadn't come to Larry and talked about that he was in Wolf Warrior Two and how much money that Wolf Warrior Two did in China, I would have never thought that oh you know this this is the guy that I'd want in a movie because he really can't sell tickets or he can't sell uh, downloads and purchases, yeah. but. A sales agent would be like, no, you should look at Frank Grillo. The dude was yeah, the main he's villain. Awesome in China, in, yeah. in India, in or Indonesia, in like like Germany. All, the, yeah, all these things. That's and, the thing is, like, you don't know necessarily. Like, you won't be able to really, um, you know, know that just from looking mm -hmm. at IMDb or like, yeah. or even like Variety Insights and stuff like that. That's where the experience and the connections of like a sales agent really sort of pays off. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which leads us to, okay, so you have your, you know, you have your team together, you have your um, group, you have your director, your DP, you have a couple al uh, talent uh, actors that actors and actresses that are like, you know what? I'm interested if you get money and all that. Mm -hmm. I would say the last thing that you need to do is you need to put it all together and come up with a pitch deck. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different pitch decks come in all sorts of shapes Many and sizes and forms and all that kind of stuff. You can have digital ones, paper ones. You can do like if you're oh, working man. with Slated, it is basically a pitch deck mm -hmm. um, that you've created on there. Um, so th there's like a billion ways to do it. But if you're going to make a pitch deck, 
You know, how would you do it, Trevor? You know, let's say one that you want to like take into a meeting or something. Take into a meeting, I would do. You know, even this day and age, I'd still print it out. I'd send yeah. it to everyone, but I'd still print it out, and I'd do like a like a four or five page, very flashy, very, and it, it depends. Like if I'm, if I'm not the director, or I'm not the screenwriter. I'm a producer. It's a little different, but if I, if it's my project through and through, I come up. I show the kind of style. It almost be like a, a a paper or a digital version of a sizzle reel. Yeah, um, like a mood board. A mood board, and I'd be like, "Hey, this is kind of like I want to mix." And you know what they the, the people? You know, Alex talked about with Greg about comp doing comps, but I you know it still works to this day because you, they just want to know in terms of money. Like what it's going to be compared to? It's like the cross a cross between this and this, or like the style of this with the action of this. They still like that for some reason. Um, yeah, I think you have to be specific about it like that. Though yeah. you can't just say it's like it's like the Matrix meets yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Clerks, and you're like, like, what are you talking about? How is it like the Matrix meets Clerks? But if fr- you're saying yeah, it's f- like the comedy of Clerks, yeah. with the style and like you yeah. know, the effects of the Matrix or whatever. You know, a friend of mine did a pitch deck, and it was like the violence or the action of Upgrade, with the uh, the I think the the tone of Halloween, you know, stuff like that. And it was like, yeah. you make, make it specific and, but make it flashy, make it something so that it's kind of like, you know, you, the trailer for your, uh, movie in paper form. And so you yeah. want them to, they, they're, you want it to grab the attention of people that are sitting at the table. So they, they want to know more. If you get them into wanting to know more, you've kind of got them and they're interested. So make it yeah. flashy, make it colorful. And I think that's, uh, one of the pitfalls that people will fall into, especially early on, is they'll try to make it too detailed. Yeah. Because it's not, you're not trying to give them everything. Yeah. You want to make them excited and you want it to be short and sweet and yeah. just kind of like uh, be the teaser yeah. trailer, like you said. Yeah. And, and, and another thing, kind of like going off what we're doing with Netflix, is sometimes what you'll do with your pitch deck is you'll go in. And you'll have your creative side, like maybe two or three people, and then you'll have your desires. So we're going to go into Netflix with these people attached, but also say, hey, you know what? These people are attached and they're, you know, they're interested, but we also have these people that we'd love with because if we have Netflix backing, we may be able to get them. So you can go into with a pitch right. deck. You can say, like, you know what? I have, let's just say, Frank Grillo attached. But if the budget's big enough, I would really love to reach out to I mean, Sylvester Stallone, you know, a big action star or something like that. Give them options so that they know you're not just set on one person and they're like, well, we don't like... or. But I think it's important to make the distinction between attached and interested. Yes, and attached or like... Because if they're attached and you have some sort of like contract with them, then you can't necessarily like go off and say, we want to reach out to other people. Attached and interested are two different things. Yeah, so if you have like people interested that you've reached out to and they say, I like this script, I want to be involved, but there's no actual contract... You know, like some people actually do pay or play deals with mm-hmm. actors. Yeah. Um, that so, explain what a pay or play deal is if for those who don't know. Uh so basically you will give actors a contract that says I will pay you a certain amount of money whether or not the project gets made. Um so for the act for the actors it's like they're attaching themselves. Mm-hmm. Um if the project doesn't get made, they, they get paid this amount, like yep. the, the contracted amount. But like if if uh it does get made, they get like the salary that's negotiated, you know, yeah. at a higher rate, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. But like, uh, 
It's basically just like a little guarantee for them, like a deposit almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like a deposit on their talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, I, I like the idea of doing pitch decks as more of like a mood board. And I also don't hate the idea, if you don't have talent attached, let's say you have like the crew, you have like a, a solid producer, you have a solid uh, DP, and you can like highlight their stuff. Yeah. I'm not opposed to having the pitch deck with um like the proposed talent on yeah. it sort of like saying like I want this type of person mm-hmm. in it you know it's like I want I want a um I want a Danny DeVito type <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any type that is other than Danny DeVito um but here's my question to you so when we were going through our Netflix pitch and talking to talent we actually had two people in in mind and we talked to the first person, and he said, yeah, his people said, yeah, he'd be interested. But just let you know that we've had some run-ins with person B in the past, so that may need to be worked out or it may need to be switched. So do you recommend going in with a pitch deck and maybe not having any talent signed to a contract? Because you never know if, like, you know, like, say you go to MGM with your pitch, and they're like, oh, we do not work with this person anymore. And you're kind yeah. of limiting your the people you can work with because you have this person attached already before you talk to anybody. Yeah, I think it can be really um, limiting if you actually have people really attached. You know, um, for a yeah. lot of reasons. A because you know if you haven't done your research right and you get someone attached who isn't actually appealing internationally, you know, as appealing as you thought, um, and the people might not be as interested as you mm-hmm. had expected. But now you're sort of like locked in with this person. Yeah, you're kind of in trouble. Yeah. Um, and you know things just change, you know, over time. I think I think most of the time they probably don't want to be attached to something that isn't, you know, definite, set in stone with an actual schedule and everything anyway because, you know, they have so many projects going on already. Yeah. It's kind of like a puzzle fitting it in, so you don't want to necessarily say like I have to do this um, uh, you know, whether or not my schedule allows it. They just don't want to put themselves in that situation. So I think overall having people give letters of interest or just expressing interest to you is the way to go. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, if you have somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio who's attached or, like, interested, just put that in there. Like, there's some people that, like, no matter what agent, like, what financier you go to, they're going to be like, yes, absolutely. I don't, like, I don't care what my, back, my past problems with this guy is or whatever. We're going to do it. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to be very upfront with everyone and say, hey, this, this person's interested. Yeah. They're not attached. Yeah. Um, but I know, you know, pending like scheduling and everything else and like the negotiation aspect, like if, if all goes well, they, they want to do it. Yeah. I don't think you should, um, you know, say like definitely 100% people are going to be involved, you know, especially when it comes to like getting investors on board. That's kind of like a little shady. But but do you think it's a catch 22 where, when you're starting out going, going to these places that can finance your projects that, you know, it's like, again, the chicken before the egg, like. You kind of have to have some kind of, like, not people just in mind, but also people interested yeah. when you're starting out because they don't know who you are. So that the fact that you have other people who are interested show kind of vouches for you. Once you have a, once they know who you are, you can go to a financier and be like, hey, I'm going to put together a movie. And they're like, we'll give you money because we know, we know who you are. Yeah, and I think, well, it depends, I think, on what you're looking for. If you're looking for just investors, um, especially people that don't have necessarily, like, film industry yeah. 
which is which is growing because people want to get into the film industry and be investors without yeah. having any experience with it. I think that's going to be a lot different than if you're approach, approaching like a production company. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have a little bit more input and things to say about you helming a project with no experience yeah. or something. You know what I mean? But yeah. Um, it definitely doesn't hurt. It's it's way you know you you have to try to stack things in your favor, yeah. no matter what. So yeah, I agree. So I mean, worst case scenario, you can probably you know pack package a whole project, and if you can't direct it for whatever reason because the production company's like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. But but if you get another director of this caliber or higher, yeah, we'll do it. Then you know you can. You can make that decision. What's that fam- famous Rocky story that um, they, I think, whoever, like, whatever company funded it said, we'll give you $500,000 for the script um, as long as you're not Rocky? And he said no. And they said, okay, well, we'll give you $100,000 for the script if you want to act in it. And, he's, and he said, I'll take the $100,000 to act in it. So that that, yeah. that tends to happen. They will say, you know, we like the idea. Like, Here's the deal. To be completely frank, we're going to go into this meeting with Netflix. We're going to pitch this idea. We're going to pitch the people that are, are uh, interested. And we have no qualms that if Netflix says, we love the idea, we love the people, but we don't want you involved because you guys don't have the chops, we're going to buy this idea from you. We're going to be like, all right, that's cool. No problem. And, and that happens. That happens a lot. Like People will – a lot of times you'll hear stories of people taking less money so they can direct it. Or, like again, Steven Spielberg with uh, Schindler's List, he waived his directing fee because he wanted this movie to be made. Sure, uh, and took you know points on the back end because he like they were all like this isn't going to make money we're not going to make this he's like all right then you don't have to pay me but I'll take money uh, from the profits um, to make this movie and that happens a lot so um, you know if you're if it's your dream project you may have to turn down some offers that don't want you to be a part of it but you know again me and Alex. Uh, for this script that we were working on that was super low budget if somebody wanted to buy it from us and make it I'd be like eh. Okay, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine because we have so many other ideas. Um, but but back to the pitch deck, um, you know, unless you have the money to hire a graphic designer, you're gonna have to start photoshopping um, these pages yourself. Make them yeah. highly stylized. Put your vision or the director's vision or the DP's vision in the pages so that they can see right away. You know, using screenshots from other movies or. Um, you know, or just photo- there's places like Unsplash that has really cool yeah. photography that you can just use. A sweet background picture with some text over it saying how the style you want it to be is great. And when it comes to um, pitch decks, it's like an internal thing. So I have no problem using stuff that I shouldn't. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like you don't have a, to pay for like copy, like copy, uh, like yeah, stuff from Getty Images. Like, yeah, exactly. They're not. Gonna, this isn't going to be like, for promotional. Go purposes. to Google Images and like look up yeah. stuff. Yeah, and there's also another tool that we use a lot called Canva. It's like Canvas minus the S. Yep. Canva.com. We'll put a link in the show notes if you need it because it's Canva.com. Yep. There it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and that is a great way to kind of drop in stuff and make it stylized without having to know the skills that it takes to do Photoshop. Yeah. You don't have as much control. You can't like do masking and like painting and stuff like that. But if you have images you want to put on with like a little overlay and text and like organize it to look like a magazine or like a document or whatever like you can do all that kind of formatting stuff yeah in canva and it's free uh unless you want to like get some advanced features or whatever yeah so it's not it's not too not too scabby but if you have skills in photoshop you know i would recommend doing that because you can get a little bit more detailed and more crazy a little bit more creative yeah and i mean you're definitely supposed to 
make it flashy, make people be like, oh man, I'm really interested in what this has, what, what, what's going on with this. So that's the, that's what you're supposed to do with your pitch deck. You're supposed to grab their attention. You're, they're your first audience. And so while a trailer is supposed to make your, the audience want to go see the movie, this pitch deck is supposed to make the people that you're showing it to want to be a part of it or fund it or distribute yeah. it. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, we kind of glanced over packaging a project, but there's many ways to do it. But the biggest thing is the more you have together when you go meet somebody who's financing it or somebody that you want to be involved in, either a director or an actor, the better, because then it makes it seem like you have your shit together and, uh, they can trust you to actually come up with a good product. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it takes a little, it takes a little elbow grease to get it going because I think. You know, especially nowadays, like we talked about social media and stuff like that. People have, you know, don't necessarily like to jump on the phone and call people up or, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to bother people. And I agree, you don't want to like, you know, cost people with like your unsolicited requests and stuff. Yeah. But um, it does take a certain amount of tenacity and sort of like devotion and trying to, you know, a- actually putting forth the effort yeah. to make it happen. So you're going to have to get your butt out of the chair and go meet people and like, jump on the phone and stuff. And, and 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 you know what? In this industry, do not be afraid to work your connections. Yeah. We, for the person that we have attached, one of the people that we have attached, or not attached, but interested in our project for Netflix, I knew, I had worked with somebody who knew the contact for that person's agent. And so I was like, hey, can I get the agent's uh, email address? And just out of the blue emailed them, kept emailing them until they were like, hey, I'm going to hook you up with this person who could talk about this. Jumped on a phone call with them yesterday, and it worked out. And they yeah. were interested, and it was just a cold email out of the blue. Yeah, but the thing that really sort of like made that email go a lot better mm-hmm. was is we had the other person had attached. The other person, yeah. Well, not only the other person attached, but you had this like um, uh, middleman yeah. that had worked with them before that you knew and had yeah. worked with as well. So yeah. it's like a direct connection to yep. them. And previous experience working with them, yeah. Even if it's like sort of secondhand or whatever. And I'd say email the people, cold cold email them, follow up with them if they haven't responded. There's there are great uh, tools out there. I'm not going to name them, but you can uh, add them to your emails, and they will track if the person has read them and opened the emails. That's the best. That's the best. The um, best. But also there are there are um, platforms out there for specifically for cold emailing. One that I know of is Mailshake. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens is you sort of like um, import your list of people that you want to contact. It'll open up each individual email and let you customize it for each individual person. Yep. So it's not just like a, a copy and paste mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah. Um, and you set up follow-up emails where it's like if they've opened it but haven't responded in five days, yeah, it will automatically send a follow-up email. And if they open that and haven't responded – in like seven days, yeah. it'll send a second follow-up email. And so you can like automate the process a little bit so you're not having to like sit there and, and type emails all day yourself uh, you know, and schedule it out. It's and, a little bit easier. And one thing that I know Alex is not a fan of the new Gmail that's coming out because he likes Inbox better. Ah, Inbox. <laughs> ah, Google, what are you doing? <laughs> one thing I really like, it's kind of annoying, but I kind of see where it comes in, in favor. Gmail now, if like I send you an email... Yeah, and then you respond to me, and I don't respond. It'll bump it up five days later. It's like you have not responded to this email. Would you like to respond now? And I'm like, oh, look at you, Gmail. Yeah, not bad. And a lot of people import their email addresses into Gmail just so it can all be kind of centralized. And so that's another tool that will help. Is that they'll be like, hey, Gmail, will be like, hey, this person emailed you asking for a response, and you haven't replied. Do you want to reply now? 
Yeah. And, and then, like, assholes, they'll just ignore it. <laughs> and there are, like, little <laughs> Gmail add-ons. You can do, like, Boomerang or whatever that'll yeah. let you schedule things if you want to um, batch yeah. your work together so you don't have to, like, be doing it every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, like, the, the basis of putting a project together, packaging it to try and get funding or get talent attached or creatives attached. Um, so on to what's cool. Um, what is cool, Trevor? What is cool? So I've got... Uh, so for those who are Premiere Adobe fans, not just Premiere, just Adobe in general, um, they just released a whole slew of updates to their uh, projects. Now, it's not like you know an update. It's new versions of basically their entire CC suite. Yeah. But what that also included was a release of Adobe Premiere Rush CC. And what Premiere Rush is, is it is a mobile, it's, a, it's an app that you put on your mobile phone, on your, your uh, iPad, yeah, on your Galaxy tablet and all that. It's basically mobile editing for YouTube. So what it allows you to do is it allows you to edit short clips that you take on your phone or you take on your iPad for some reason that you're filming with your iPad. Yeah. <laughs> and you can edit them pretty seamlessly and then upload them to YouTube. So you don't have to have this big computer to edit small clips that you want to do and uh, put up for social media or Facebook or Instagram stories or all stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty little cool thing. It's, it's, you know, it's low impact, so it can be handled on phones and um, tablets, and it's not as intuitive as Premiere, but it's definitely a lot better than trying to do, you know, get the expensive Premiere to just do simple YouTube videos. Yeah, plus it's like if you're shooting on your – let's say you're vlogging or something yeah. and you're using your phone as the camera, You might, I mean, it's just less One steps. less steps to like upload it to your phone, to your computer, then edit it there, then convert it. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. Yep, yep. What do you got? Um, I had seen this little control surface a little while ago okay. called the Loop Deck. Ooh. It was originally just for Lightroom. So it's basically like a little control surface for Adobe Lightroom that lets you – Adjust the color and sort of do photo editing mm. um, and all that. But now, uh oh, now uh -oh. they have just updated it so that it supports Adobe Premiere Pro. Oh, for, for editing and for grading in Lumetri. So nice. You can use this little control panel and it has like all the functions. You can map it out and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's sort of like an alternative, or it could be an alternative to. Um, like the resolve control panels or like mm -hmm. the tangent wave panels and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it's cheap. It's like $250. That's not bad. For a control deck, that is not bad. Not bad. And they say they're going to continue to add um, support for other programs. So they're kind of guessing, people are kind of guessing that they're going to add Final Cut support and then also resolve. Ooh, that'd so. be big. I, you know, one of these days I got to jump into test out resolve. When it's something I gotta edit that's not important, like I have a lot of projects I have to edit that are like being paid for, yeah, and so I don't want to do speediness. Yeah, speediness, but um, for for uh, projects, it's kind of our own thing. Maybe the interviews we do for uh, Cinema Summit, maybe I'll try jumping on Resolve and see how it looks and see how it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I, that was cool. Yeah, no, that's very cool. I I'm a big fan of control decks. I think they're awesome. I would love to have a studio full of control decks that just lets me easily. Yeah, they take you know? a little bit of time to sort of get used to, yeah. but then it really sort of helps your workflow. And they're bit. becoming small and more portable so if you go someplace else you can just bring it with you and that's just... the thing this one is like the size of a keyboard oh you know like fantastic a little bit smaller so it's great you can just throw it in a backpack if you wanted to take it to yeah. set with you if yeah. you like that's what i thought would be cool if you're doing um you know you can do like live lutz mm, you know mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. set so if you're yeah. creating lutz on the go oh man and you have this little control surface doing that could be kind of cool very cool 
I like that. I'm, I'm, I might actually look into that because we're moving into upgrading our studio stuff and in terms of like 4K monitors and all that and doing color grading. And that's always good to have a control deck. It yeah. makes it a lot easier. Makes so much it easier. a lot easier. Um, I also, uh, this thing I just found is called Evercast. And what it is, it was created by three kind of editors. And what it is, is it is an editing collaboration tool. So basically what it is, it's a uh, Chrome browser plugin or extension. Yeah. And it allows you to kind of do video conferencing with no latency and share projects. Um, so it's a live stream, any production workflow in HD quality video and nearly uncompressed audio with up to eight team members. Right, nice. a video chat. So a lot of people will be doing VFX works or editing and have somebody, you know, they're editing in the US, their VFX team is in Canada or, you know, uh, where do we see that company at AF AFM? They were in Ukraine or something like that? Yeah, maybe the Ukraine. Ukraine. And where do we see them at FilmCon? There was another one. Oh, India. They're yeah. Indian. Yeah, yeah. And so you want to be able to work with them in real time and say, hey, you know, I'll make this edit real quick or I'll, um, you know, change this a little bit to help you with your VFX or, you know, the director is doing something in England and I'm in LA editing and I want to show it to him and work on this edit because it's really tough. It's kind of like a... Video conferencing that is smooth and allows you to share your timeline with them, and, and everyone can kind of view the project at the same time so that you can all work together. And I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. I like that, especially when you're working with, um, you know, in post production. I think it can be, it's really frustrating for me at least, uh, doing graphics and stuff like that to have the back and forth where it's like, oh, yeah. here's, here's the, um, the version, I have to export it upload it to yeah. Dropbox or something, mm -hmm. send them the link. They have to Ugh. look at it, send an email back. Then yeah. I have to send an email. You know, it's like it'd be much easier to just sort of like stream it, have, yeah. have the discussion right there so it's not this yeah. back and forth of like, oh, I want to do this, oh, but I can't do that because of this. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you just handle it all in one convo, which is nice. Yeah, uh, there are some things like Whipster that allow you to like upload an edit and then somebody goes in there and makes notes on it. But that's great if you're like, you know, timing is off and all that. But I don't know how many times I've gotten notes and been like, wait a second. I need clarification on this note because this person is not writing clear. Yeah, this makes no sense. Or yeah. like they don't know what they want. So then it's better oh. to sort of like work through make it with them, them, make them make a decision or something. Uh, but that's cool. I mean, I one of my least favorite things... Um, especially when with, other than me with bigger yeah yeah <laughs> um is is exporting a pro you know spending that time yeah. to export a project and then upload a project yeah that it, it's just like annoying a lot of the stuff we do for like usc and all that we have to do that and so it's the worst it's the worst it sucks um so yeah evercast check it out um i'm i'm interested in it especially as we get into more projects where people all over the country yeah yeah all right so my Second thing. Oh, yeah. Go pronounce that. Go ahead. Uh, the Pavolite R RGBW LED2. Who, who makes it? Um, Nanguang. <laughs> Nan hey, you know what? About, about as good as I could have done. So good job. <laughs> good job. Um, I'm dyslexic. Uh, but it's a almost like a, a Quasar competitor, a Kino competitor. They're. All these companies are making these sort of LED tubes now. I, I wonder if it's because one company developed it, sent it to China to make it, and then they all just grabbed it. Probably. I mean, yeah. so this is kind of a cool alternative. It's a little bit cheaper, uh, but it does the whole spectrum of color. Nice. It has, um, it has the wireless 
uh, technology built in. Oh, that's even better. So you can control it with nice. an app. That's awesome. Uh, or maybe, what is it? Is it an app? Um, yeah, it's got 2.4G radio control, so you can probably use like a wireless um, DMX controller or something. I bet, yeah. Um, and they have two different versions. One's an AC version. Nice. And one's got a built-in battery. Nice. And they come in two foot and four foot um, That's pretty cool. sizes. Well, and it also says that it has Wi-Fi control, so it may just be an app. It may also ah, be an cool. app, so it may not just be, uh, you know, there we go. Uh, DMX. There we go. Nice. Not bad. And uh, got the full color control, the whole shebang. And they're I mean, they're pretty cheap. I mean, $399 for a four-foot AC-powered one. Not bad. Not bad. Do we even care about CRI, uh, CRI anymore? I mean, most of them are coming out in 95 and above. I mean, it's like, if if they're not coming out with 95 or above, it's like, why do they even come out? Yeah, what are they even doing? Because, I mean... CRI is not even the the best measurement. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the time, I think it's fine. And if not, you can. It's it's a tube. You could probably just put a little, yeah. little gel over. It. But if they're if you're able to like control the whole spectrum, mm-hmm. I feel like that pretty much yeah covers it. That's awesome. That's all. That, that that's really cool. I'd, I'd actually definitely look into that because I always like the uh, uh, digital Sputniks um, tubes. Oh yeah, the Voyagers. The Voyagers thought they now, were great. These also do have uh, six pre-programmed special effects. Whoa! Cop car, candle, flame, speaking, lightning, storm, spe- SOS signal. Speaking, th- of, speaking th- of when the... Yeah, I know. <laughs> my bad. Man, what a dick. I'm so used to being alone and talking whenever I want to. Um, when is Hive coming out with their freaking up- firmware updates? It's probably out. We just I don't know, but it doesn't say anything about like, like where to get it. I know. Well, yeah. Uh, we'll check later, but um, yeah, anyway, I, mean, I want these. I want these in. I would love. Yeah, I mean, it would be expensive still. That's okay. the thing is like, it's cheap. Like three hundred ninety nine bucks is is cheap for a fixture, but like, uh. <laughs> one tube. Ah, uh. you don't want one tube. Yeah, you want four tubes in yeah. like a four bank scenario. Yeah, like we have our four bank LED uh-huh. keynote type things. I would love to swap those out for these types of things. That'd be that'd nice. be pretty great. But we also have ones that have like twelve tubes. Yeah. Or like eighteen, I don't even remember. Oh my god! But that would be very expensive. Yeah, man, would that ever? Yeah, got like twenty tubes times four hundred dollars. Twenty four hundred dollars? No specs. Wait, how many tubes? I don't know, twenty ish, eighteen maybe. Eighteen? Let's say twenty by four hundred dollars. Oh no, never mind. That's eight thousand dollars. Yeah, mind. that's expensive. My math was so off there. That's um, expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hmm, super expensive. Um, okay, okay. Well, I like those. I'd, I'd buy them. Can we yeah. buy them? Let's buy them. Let's buy them. Let's buy them. I wonder how long the... Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, it says CRI of 95. I don't know. But I wonder how long the, the battery lasts. It doesn't really say that. Yeah, that'd be a question. But, I mean... Oh, man. I wish the AC, the battery ones... Can they be run off of AC at this... You know, like... As well? As well. That would be great. I think... I mean, probably. You'd think so. Oh, yeah. The Pavo lights with built-in batteries can also be AC-powered with supplied adapters. Oh, fantastic. There you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. So you just get the battery-powered ones because why not? Yeah. They're not that much more expensive. So the AC version of the, um, let's see, the four-foot battery-powered one is $429. Yeah. So just get that, and then you never have to be without power as long as you have a generator or someplace to plug in, and you can plug in in any wall outlet because these things draw no power. Yeah, plus you have the you can just run them battery all day. 
all day. Well, who knows how yeah. long the, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would got to say. Pretty cool. What else we got? Um, let me see. What do we got here? We got the, um, okay, this is, this is kind of interesting. It's called the Blackjet UX1 Cinema Dock. And it is basically almost like a card reader, but it uses Thunderbolt 3. And it has, um, it has like uh, ports for you can just slide in two separate SSD drives. Um, you can set CFast cards or CF cards, um, XQD media cards, which are more Sony. Um, you can do micro SD and SD cards, and it's like this big. It's rack mountable, right? And it can transfer all this stuff over Thunderbolt three. Nice. But the cool thing is, is that what it allows you to do over. Um, Thunderbolt 3 is you can just plug them in and edit right from it. So you don't even need to transfer. Ooh. So you can just have it like an external drive. And because it's Thunderbolt 3, you can daisy chain up to uh, five additional. So you have six of these things all hooked up and have like, you know, 12 SSD drives plugged in with XD cards and all that kind of stuff. With SD cards, SDXC, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And it, it, because it's Thunderbolt 3, it's crazy, crazy. 2,750 megabytes a second. Yeah, which is crazy. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, and it can be, can be configured as a RAID. Yeah. That's yeah. That's interesting. Um, so it's it's kind of like one of those things where you can edit right off of them or you can just have it hook, hooked up in your studio and dump footage at lightning fast speeds. I mean, I don't really know a scenario where I'd be pulling out SSD drives. Like, most of the time when an SSD drive is used for storage it's kind of built in like you got the you know the picks which is built into a caddy um stuff like that i think uh the new atomus stuff um oh it, you know what atomus in general just it's its own caddy just to make it slide in but it is just an ssd just connection yeah yeah you pop it up but that mean but that means that you'd have to take it out of the caddy then because it probably won't fit in the slot if unless it's a bare right. ssd drive so but no i think it's really cool i, think I mean it's easy to take them out of the caddies though yeah nowadays okay okay so i mean it's it's access to faster transfer speeds thunderbolt 3 is awesome i wish we had it um and the fact that you can just plug and play and kind of just jam in cards and drives and dump footage or edit right from the footage yeah. So now what I'm wondering, because you can set up the SSDs in a RAID fashion, are they thinking that the RAIDs are more for um, like storage or like the, the SSDs? Are so more for maybe what they're saying is, hey, take your CF, your CF fast cards or your C fast cards and your uh, you know SD cards and dump it onto these two. These drives. These drives and then they're redundant. pop in and out. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what they're looking at, which would be awesome. I mean... We're getting to the point where you don't need any internal like drives anymore because it's just fast with Thunderbolt yeah. three. Yep. Um, so, but not a lot of computers have Thunderbolt three at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ours we don't have USB C. Yeah. even which is good, but not as good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty cool, especially if you're building out a studio and you want to have like six of them daisy chained together in a rack mount, because then you could just back up footage. Because you want to have at least one or two backups of all footage. So you have it on your computer, you have it what you're editing, but you also want to have it on drive. So you can just pop these in, good to go, dump it some footage on like a, a one terabyte SSD and rate it so that it's duplicated, good yep. to go. I like that. Plus, I like, you know, you can swap it out. So when you're working on a new project, yeah. you know, you use it for a project, 
then you pull the drives, archive them in storage or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you put in new drives for the next project. Not bad. It's pretty cool. Man. Um, I'm trying to find the price. It's one of those things where they really haven't... 500 oh, yeah. bucks. 500 bucks. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, granted, it is just a glorified, like... Card reader. Card reader. But Thunderbolt 3, which is expensive, and the fact that you can rate it is pretty cool. So 500 bucks isn't bad. Especially if you're pulling in a lot of footage, and you, especially if you're trying, if you're doing studio shoots and you need to pull in footage a lot and just back it up, yeah. that transfer speed is crazy. Like it, love it, love it, love it. Anything else that's cool? I think yeah. that's it. All right, all right. That's all I found. All right, close it out for us. All right, Welcome that's back. gonna do it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Alex is back. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com/episode27. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, if you feel so inclined, give us a nice little five star rating. And thanks to everyone who already has. Given yeah, us, that's appreciate awesome. it, guys. Uh, if you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section. We'll try to answer them. Also, also like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit up to date on all of our projects as well as future podcast releases so thanks guys that's gonna do it later peace